Hello, I'm Jacob Kruger, and this is the Write Your Screenplay Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about Saltburn by Emerald Fennell. I was lucky enough to see this in an advanced screening at Austin Film Festival this year. And by the way, while we're talking about Austin Film Festival, a shout out to our six students who were finalists. Eric Potempa, Jonathan Finnegan, Kelly McAllister, and Nancy Safavi were all finalists for the pitch competition, with Nancy taking third place overall. It's amazing. Erin uh, Brown Thomas was a finalist for her short film, Subtext. And Meredith Allen, former student and former teacher at Jacob Kruger Studio, was a finalist for her horror film, Sensei. So we're just so proud of all our alums who are out there doing amazing stuff and having such incredible success. So there is so much that we can learn as screenwriters from Emerald Fennell's Saltburn. This, of course, is her follow-up to Promising Young Woman. And in Saltburn, Emerald Fennell is pushing everything to the extreme. And by looking at a movie that takes everything this far, we can learn about tone, we can learn about genre, we can learn about writing, characters that should be unlikable and allowing us to fall in love with them. And so we're going to be talking about all of that stuff today in relation to Saltburn. So there are going to be some spoilers in this podcast. And unfortunately, to really help you understand this film, I'm going to have to give you the spoilers right at the very beginning. So if you haven't seen the film yet and you don't want it spoiled, you might want to watch it first. Otherwise, I'm going to give you enough context so that you can understand what we're talking about here. In a lot of ways, you can think of Saltburn like the talented Mr. Ripley if you push things to even more ridiculous extremes. And what that means is it's built on a thriller framework. The genre elements and the genre structure of Saltburn are all pulled directly from thriller. It's a story about a young man, Oliver Quick. He's at Oxford University. He's super bright, but he's got no money, unlike all of his classmates, and that means he's a bit of an outcast. And he develops a sexual attraction and a friendship attraction towards Felix Catton, who is a ridiculously wealthy student who lives in a grand castle, who has everything that Oliver ever wanted. And it's interesting when you hear Emerald Fennell talk about the film because she talks about it as a gothic romance, that this could just as well be Heathcliff on the Moors in an Emily Bronte movie, right? A story of really complicated, unrequited love. And you can see all those gothic romance elements in this piece. And at the same time that it's a gothic romance with a lot of twisted romance stuff happening, it's also a thriller, right? It's also talented Mr. Ripley happening. So here's what happens. Felix becomes Oliver's best friend and invites Oliver to come live with him at his estate, Saltburn, this ridiculous castle for the summer because Oliver has nowhere to go. He's told Felix that his mother is a drug addict, that his father has died. He has nowhere to go. He has no finances. And he basically becomes both the friend but also the plaything to this ridiculously privileged kid. Felix is incredibly sexy, right? Every woman in the world is just throwing herself 
at him. And although it seems like it's an unrequited love story, it certainly seems like there's some kind of attraction between Oliver and Felix. In fact, the opening voiceover of the movie tells us, I loved him, right? So we know that this is a story about love. We know this is this Gothic romance. And that Gothic romance is laid over this really interesting infrastructure that you could take from any thriller, the structure of the the person who is not who you believe, who infiltrates your life and starts to destroy you, right? It's talented Mr. Ripley. It's Hand that rocks the cradle. It's Cape Fear, right? It's it's that classic thriller setup. So this is what happens. We we start off and we think we're in this gothic drama. And it looks like it's going to be that way for a good half hour. And then things start to take darker and darker and darker turns. Because what really has happened is Felix has invited a vampire into his house. Now, not a literal vampire. If you've seen this movie, you know why Oliver refers to himself as a vampire. But what we're really going to watch is we're going to watch a movie about a what looks like a sweet boy that gets invited to this house of privilege who ends up sucking the life out of the entire family, including his beloved friend Felix. So we're going to watch this really complicated, dark thriller happening under this kind of gothic romance. And and what, what this should show you as a writer, the first thing I want to talk about is how much flexibility you have with genre. This is not the only example of a film that combines genres. We talked about everything, everywhere, all at once, for example, right? Combining the this character-driven drama with the action movie format, sci-fi action format. American Beauty was originally written as a whodunit. It was all about who killed him, right? And you can see that those bones are still there. Everybody has a motivation to kill Kevin Spacey's character. Those bones are still there, even though it became a movie about transcendence. And in this piece, we have these thriller bones underneath, but they're subverted. They're subverted by this gothic romance, and then they're subverted even more because a normal thriller makes you feel scared all the time. A normal thriller is all about the creepy music. It's all about, oh no, it's all about getting your heart racing. And Saltburn does exactly the opposite. It's building on this infrastructure that's very familiar, but it feels completely new and fresh because instead of using that infrastructure to scare you, it is using that infrastructure to make you laugh and to make you feel uncomfortable in your own complicity, in our own complicity with privilege and our own complicity with desire and the things that we're willing to do for desire. Now, we are not willing to go to any of the places that Oliver is going, but by blowing up the extremes of privilege and the extremes of the desire that that our culture has to attain that kind of access, right? And by pushing that through this gothic, romance, thriller format, right? We end up with a completely new genre that can really only be called emerald fennel. This is what I want you to understand. Genre, like tone, is tremendously flexible, right? You can write a uh, hundred horror movies that all have the same kind of 
general arc, right? And then you could do a scream where you subvert that. And Saltburn is doing the same thing. It is subverting these genres. It's not Call Me By Your Name, right? And it is not Emily Bronte. And it is also not Talented Mr. Ripley. It is somehow the amalgamation of those elements pushed through this bizarre comic lens. Uh, we're going to talk about one scene in this movie uh, that really shows you how this works. But first, I want to talk about Oliver quick. I want to talk about Barry Keegan's character. Because Oliver should be a person that we don't like. There was a really interesting question. Someone raised their hand and asked Emerald Fennel, what was it like writing a sociopath? And I thought Emerald's answer was one of the most brilliant and helpful that I've heard. She said, oh, I don't think of him as a sociopath. I just think of him as somebody who desperately wants something. And I think this is one of the key lessons in writing a likable main character, right? Somehow we're right rooting for Oliver, even as he does the most horrible possible things, all of which we will talk about, right? We are rooting for him. We are caring about him. We are loving him. We are laughing. We are, we are going on a total joyride and we are feeling hugely uncomfortable all at the same time. What we're connecting to is his desire. And so this is the first lesson I want you to take from Emerald Fennel. Do not put your characters in a box. Don't put your genre in a box, right? Just because you're writing a thriller, just because you're writing a gothic romance, just because you're writing a comedy doesn't mean that there can't be something real and complicated and subversive underneath. Just because you're hitting those genre beats does not mean that you have to hit them in the way other people do. And the same thing is true with your character, right? Do not put your character in a box. Don't put a label. Don't tell them that they are a sociopath, that they're ADD, that they are depressed, that they are anxious, right? Don't put them in these adjectival boxes. Don't give them syndromes. And by the way, don't do this to yourself either. Yeah, if you have, if you have mental health issues, get yourself the help you need. But don't put yourself in a box of your condition. Think of yourself like you think of a character. These characters are just people who want things. And what makes Oliver accessible, if you write Oliver as a sociopath, he's not accessible. In the same way that if you write the talented Mr. Ripley as a sociopath, as just a sociopath, he's not likable. He becomes a stereotype. He becomes impossible to root for. But if you think of these characters as people who want something desperately, in Oliver's case, he desperately wants access. He wants a life of magic. He wants to be part of the elite right? He wants access. He wants to stay at Saltburn. It's the only thing he wants. And he's willing to go to tremendous lengths to get there. So don't put your genre in a box. Don't put your character in a box. You can play within genre rules, but you can also subvert those genre rules. The next thing I want you to take from this is 
every single character in Saltburn is unlikable and horrible in some way. You have Farley, who is basically the equivalent of Oliver, another plaything of this family, right? But who's got a much more firm place in this home, right? Who's playing his own game to get to stay and who will end up getting caught up in Oliver's game. You've got the mom and the dad. They are absolutely awful people, each in their own unique way. Even Felix, for all the kindness that he shows Oliver that creates empathy for us, there's something in every scene. There's always a little moment where you can see the awfulness of him too, right? So this is a cast of awful characters. And yet we love them all. And we love them all because they are not being 1% awful people. They are being specifically themselves. And, and this is a concept that we call the how. What's your character's how? So instead of thinking about what type is my character, think about what is their how. Think about what do they want and what is the how that they are using to get it. Think of the obstacles that they are trying to overcome that force them to push the how further. So in Oliver's situation, right, he would be happy staying at this house forever. Except he's got a problem, right? Farley's trying to push him out. Uh, he has a little affair with Felix's sister, which he thinks is going to help him get in but it ends up having the exact opposite effect. It makes Felix want to kick him out. So he has to start to disavow that that ever happened, right? Um, and then, then the big awful happens for him. We, we meet this guy just to kind of give you a sense of how the tone shifts in this piece and, and how much flexibility you have with tone. For the first for the first third of the movie, right? We're, we're watching this gothic love story, right? We're watching Call Me By Your Name. We're watching this story about these two very different boys who are falling in love or at least falling in friendship. They're falling in something and they are becoming close and we don't know if it's going to be an unrequited love story or a requited love story, but we know that there's something deep and emotional happening. We have little tastes of the flavor, mostly done through the voiceover, in that Oliver's first words are, of course, I loved him, right? Which kind of tells us, ooh, maybe this didn't end well. Maybe this guy isn't here anymore, right? So we have little tiny hints that maybe this is going to go to a dark place, but we don't really know where it's going. We think we're in this gothic romance. Then things start to get really dark and uncomfortable in a sexual way. First, with the little love, <laughs> I'm not going to call it a love story. He does not love the sister, but he is using her. He sees her as a way, if he can seduce her as a way to maybe get to stay, to become part of this, to get his needs met, right? So we get a very explicit little vampire scene with him and the sister, uh, that Felix has a bad reaction to. And then we start to see the lies, right? We start to see what Oliver is willing to do to stay. But we don't know, right? We don't know if 
he is really a bad person or if he really has bad intentions or if he's just afraid of losing his friend and being a normal young kid. We don't know how dark things are actually going to get until Felix comes up with a brilliant idea. Felix is going to take Oliver home. See, Oliver has been estranged from his drug addict mother, right? He's lived this horrible life of poverty. His father's dead. He's not speaking to his mother. And Felix decides that Oliver, that he's going to heal this relationship. He contacts Oliver's mother using his cell phone and arranges a surprise visit. And when they arrive at her house, we get a couple of big surprises. And here are where the real spoilers start. Number one, they live in a nice middle-class home. Oliver is not poor. He's middle-class. Number two, mom ain't a drug addict. In fact, mom is a sweet, loving person. And number three, daddy is alive, right? It's all lies. And of course, all this is building up. Oliver is having a birthday party in salt burn 1% style, meaning it is this gigantic gothic mask ball happening, right? It is extreme, extreme amounts of people, extreme amounts of drugs, extreme amounts of costumes, extreme amounts of everything, right? So they come back and Felix has basically said to Oliver, look, you're not going to get what you want. You can have your party. We're not going to tell anybody tonight, but then tomorrow you're going to leave. And this is when things start to get really dark because by the end of the party, Felix is dead. And we kind of know Oliver did it, but we also don't know. We don't know for sure, right? Because he seems to have overdosed and there was a lot of drugs happening. And then before long, the sister is dead. But with her, we know, right? We know what happened, but it looks like a suicide. So dad and mom, they're in mourning. They've now lost both of their children. At this point, we know Oliver is responsible, right? But he's not being a sociopath. He's trying to stay. The sister is dead because she's figured him out. She's figured out what he's doing. Felix is dead because he was going to kick him out. And mom has a soft spot. She has a soft spot for Oliver, but in general, she likes taking care of birds with broken wings, right? And dad sees that mom is starting to transfer her love for Felix onto Oliver, and he knows that's not good and that's not healthy. He just wants to mourn in peace. So he pays Oliver off to leave in a really extraordinary scene. And Oliver takes the money. And when we next see him, it is years later. And he accidentally bumps into mom at a coffee shop, except we know it's not accidental because he's reading news about the dad's death. And mom, of course, always having had a soft spot for Oliver, invites him back to Saltburn. 
And then we get this really incredible abrupt cut, right? So we have this kind of sweet but complicated thing. And then we cut to mom and she is in a hospital bed on a respirator, right? In one of the wings of her house. And we have this incredibly complicated image where Oliver pulls the breathing tube out of her and then does this crazy naked dance through the house. This is the way that this piece builds, right? You can see that all of the elements I pitched you are horror elements. A murdered friend, a bathtub filled with blood where a fake suicide is created, the destruction of this woman's life. And we don't know how, but somehow even the murder of this woman, we've watched a kid destroy this entire family. He's also destroyed Farley, of course, along the way, his rival for the family's attention for being that cared for person, right? And somehow he has taken over this place, right? He has gotten the thing that he wants. All of structure is just a journey to get what you want. And tone, with tone, you have total flexibility. You can actually do anything you want. A student once asked me, uh, he was writing his first comedy. And he said, you know, Jake, I I'm, a I'm scared. Like, what if it isn't funny? And I said, well, then you will have written a drama, right? And that's okay. But also taking a drama and making it a comedy is just layering a different kind of tone over it. Which brings me to the final scene in Saltburn that I want to discuss. And this is potentially the most disturbing scene in Saltburn. And if you haven't seen it yet, you might want to turn off the podcast now so I don't ruin it for you. So he has killed Felix, right? This boy that he's in love with. He's killed him. And we follow Oliver to Felix's grave. And I want you to track the way the tone shifts in this scene. So first, we watch Oliver in the dirt, right? He's in his suit and he is lying in the dirt of Felix's grave. And we want to cry for him, even though we suspect that he's probably the one who murdered Felix. Because we actually understand, we're watching the gothic love story here. We're watching the story of a man, your boy, right, who killed the person he most loved and most wanted because he didn't want to lose his place, right? Because he didn't want to lose his access. And we're watching this genuine mourning. And even though you suspect Oliver at this point, you, you kind of also want to cry for him. And we linger on this morning for way longer than we should until you actually start to feel something and until you start to feel uncomfortable and until you start to wonder, he's going to do it, isn't he? And of course, then Oliver starts to hump the grave. And by the time it's over, he is naked having sex with this grave. And what Emerald Fennell does is she just holds the camera there, right? So you kind of go through like, I think he's going to do it. No, he's not going to do it. Oh, he is going to do it. Oh, he's unzipping. Oh, oh, he's still doing it. And the effect of that on the audience is absolutely fascinating, right? The audience, 
begins in this place tonally and from a genre perspective of Gothic romance where we actually feel genuine emotion. And then we go to this place of discomfort because we're telling ourselves something's going to happen that we don't want to happen. That's kind of going to gross us out and make us uncomfortable. But it goes on so long, we sort of think maybe it's not going to happen. And just by keeping the camera there, it starts to happen. And at first you're like, oh, no. But instead of giving up, what Emerald Fennell does is she just holds the camera there. And so your groans of discomfort soon start to groans of laughter. And as it continues and continues and continues, soon you have a theater with a thousand people in it roaring with dis uncomfortable laughter, right? We're uncomfortable because we're complicit because we know we should not be laughing and yet we are. This is a masterclass on tone, right? That you can take the same scene and move it from the most connected, profound drama to the most absurd, uncomfortable comedy, hitting all those points in between, shows you that tone, that tone is just execution, that tone is just craft. Because all writing actually begins with the same thing. It actually all begins with drama right? It actually all begins with a character who wants something, who has a unique how of trying to get it, who has huge obstacles he has to overcome or she has to overcome or they have to overcome that will force them to reveal their how. How are they different from any other character? And along the way of writing them, you as a writer get to reveal your how. And your how doesn't come from writing the thing that's easy, your how doesn't come from following the rules that everybody else is following. Your how comes from the same things your character's how comes from. It comes from obstacles. It comes from choices. Emerald Fennell makes a crazy choice here. She shoots this piece in four by three, right? That's an extremely challenging choice commercially, but she's doing it for artistic reasons. Why is she doing it? She wants it to look like one of those old paintings, right? She's making a gothic romance. Your job as a writer is not to please everybody. And I can tell you, as we came out of the theater, even though everybody was laughing, some people were like raising their arms in triumph having seen this. And some people were like, that made me really uncomfortable. Your job is not to please everybody. Your job is not to follow the rules. Your job is to set a goal for yourself as a writer to write the thing that is a little bit bigger then you can actually achieve so that as you achieve it, you reveal your how. You cannot write like Emerald Fennell. Only Emerald Fennell can write like Emerald Fennell. And that's why she's had the success that she's had. You have to do the same thing for yourself. And part of that is setting the goal that's a little harder than you can do, right? How do you tell a gothic romance thriller that's funny. That is an insane choice. How do you tell a story where everybody's a terrible person, where we love them all? That's an impossible, impossible task that she's given herself. But by achieving it, she's revealed her how in such a profound way that you cannot take your eyes off of it. 
I hope that you enjoyed this podcast. If you want to learn more about writing in this organic, intuitive way that kind of harnesses your voice and your how as a writer, check out my classes. We have a free class every Thursday night. Thursday Night Writes. We have foundation classes for those of you starting out. We have master classes and we have an incredible mentorship program that will pair you with a professional writer who will mentor you through your entire career at the tiniest fraction of what you would pay for grad school. So come check it out, writeyourscreenplay.com, link in bio.